Dr. Luke is documenting for us the life and times of Jesus, but interestingly enough, he doesn't start with Jesus in his gospel. His gospel begins with a scene in the temple as an aged priest is lighting incense, and an angel named Gabriel appears to him and announces that he and his wife of many years, many childless years, uh, they will be miraculously uh, becoming parents. It was a moment that would change Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives forever, as they were chosen to bring this little boy, John, into the world. And this little boy, John, will grow up to be known as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophesied one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And it is with this miraculous pregnancy that Dr. Luke begins his history. And we left off last week uh, with Elizabeth, the mother, uh, who has been keeping the pregnancy to herself in restful seclusion for the first five months. And now the scene shifts. The camera pans. Instead of the temple in Jerusalem, the scene opens on a small village in Nazareth. Instead of down south in Judea, we are now up north in Galilee. Instead of an aged man, this scene opens upon a young teenaged girl. Instead of a robed priest, she's a country peasant. And despite all the differences between these two scenes, there's one thing in common, and that's the angel. It's Gabriel once again. He has another message about another pregnancy. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 down to 38 this morning. Luke 1, 26 to 38. If you want to use the Pew Bible, you can pull it out and join us on pages 855 to 856. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. 
and is this month, this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. This morning, I, I want to show us three insights here. We're going to see a life-altering salutation, a world-changing sovereign, and a history-making sacrifice. Okay? A life-altering salutation, a world-changing sovereign, and a history-making sacrifice. There's your outline for this morning. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray as we jump in. Father, scenes like this amaze us, the gutsiness of Mary to say yes when it meant so much for her life is astounding. And Father, it reminds us of the call that you put on each one of our lives to follow you no matter what. Father, would you give us a similar courage to follow you in obedience and faith this morning, no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First, a life-altering salutation. A life-altering salutation. Look again at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. Now, Luke uh, timestamps this angelic visit in the sixth month. You see that? The sixth month. This is not the sixth month of the year, uh, but the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy from the previous story. So Elizabeth is six months along in her pregnancy. She's just entering her third trimester when Mary receives this angelic visit. And once again, it is the angel Gabriel who shows up. Gabriel's name means, God is my strength. And his last assignment was in Jerusalem, a city of tens of thousands of citizens, but this assignment is in Nazareth, Nazareth with an op estimated population of just a few hundred people, 400 to 800 people or so. And he sent to one individual in particular, this young lady named Mary. We're told she's a virgin, which of course means that she's chaste. And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph, who is a descendant of David, the ancient great king of Israel. Uh, his star is still on the flag to this day. Uh, the uh, first century betrothal process is a little bit opaque to us, but it was like basically a more serious version of our modern engagement. Betrothal took place about a year before the actual wedding took place. It was a legally binding arrangement, and from the moment of betrothal, the man and woman would, were considered husband and wife, although they lived separately in their parents' homes. Then after the betrothal period would come the wedding, which could take up to a month, and then the groom and the bride uh, would, would go home and the marriage would be complete. And so Mary is in this betrothal year before her wedding. She's legally 
pledged to Joseph as good as married in terms of legal standing, but she's still living with her parents, and she's keeping herself for Joseph. And on this ordinary day, like any other day, Gabriel shows up. Look at verse 28. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is a life-altering salutation. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary's going, okay, hold on, what kind of greeting is this? Is, is this for me? What can, what can he mean? Who, who is this guy? Where did he come from? What is going on, right? And Gabriel senses her trepidation in verse 30. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary, you have nothing to fear. God himself has found favor with you. He delights in you. In fact, he's chosen you especially. Mary, you're about to become pregnant. Now, we're, we're just too familiar with this story. We don't sense the shock of that statement. He, like, we don't even tell people they look pregnant, right? Like that's, not, how many of you have made that mistake, right? That is, that is not a good moment. We don't even tell people they look pregnant. We don't tell people, we don't ask if they're pregnant, we, if they're already pregnant. He's on the, head, on the front end of this. And he says, you're about to be pregnant. This is crazy. Remember who he's talking to. This is a teenage girl living with her parents. This is awkward. You're about to be pregnant. And by the way, don't worry about a gender reveal party. It's gonna be a boy. Just get ahead of that. And don't buy a baby name book. He's gonna be Jesus. You're gonna call him Jesus. It's crazy. And just think of what this meant for Mary. I'm sure she had her dreams, you know? Like any young girl does of falling in love one day and her wedding day, what that would look like, and her honeymoon, and what her home, and starting a family, what her story would look like, how it would all be. Up until this day, everything was going according to plan, wasn't it? All her dreams were coming true. Everything was right on track. And then, bam, Gabriel shows up, and all those plans go out the window, all those dreams are being rewritten. Her life is being altered. Because friends, God's plans are massively disruptive. God's plans are massively disruptive. When God called Abraham, he called him to leave his father and mother, his family, his land, everything to go into the unknown and follow him. When God called Moses, he called him out of hiding in the wilderness to courageously lead God's people into freedom and bold confrontation with the Pharaoh. When God called David, he called him from the comfort of taking care of his father's sheep to be the defender and king of Israel. When God called Esther, he called her to give up her anonymity and safety, to risk her life to save her people. And in each case, friends, saying yes to God's plan meant massive disruption. 
in these people's lives. And I know some of you know how that feels. You know exactly how that feels because God has called you to some disruptive things. Some of you, God has called to become foster parents. Some of you, God has called to raise a child with special needs. Some of you, God has called to move your family to a new city. Some of you, God has called to give up your career for ministry. Some of you, God has called to risk your professional reputation for the sake of Jesus. Some of you have been called to become caregivers of a family member. And you know the disruption. You know the cost. You know the tears and the letting go of all your dreams and plans and expectations. You know the cost of saying yes to God's call on your life. I know I've felt that. When I was in high school and God was calling me to ministry, I felt like he was calling me to misery, not ministry. I had a life trajectory and plan that involved fast cars and big houses and long weekends and early retirement and an American dream. And God said, I want you to serve me with your life. And I panicked because I knew there would be a cost. I felt the pull, the kind of death required to say yes. Friends, that's exactly where Mary's at. On one hand, she's holding her life, her dreams, and in the other, she's holding the call of God. And what will she choose? She's there in the middle, pulled, stretched, in the massive disruption of God's plans. It's a life-altering salutation. Now, secondly, we see a world-changing sovereign, a world-changing sovereign. It's true that God's disruption, His plans are disruptive to Mary's dreams, but it's because God has a plan and a dream of His own that He's working. This is no ordinary child that is coming. There are three clues to his identity in this passage. The first clue is in the name of Jesus itself. Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means God saves or Savior. It was the name that was given to Joshua in the Old Testament, who led God's people faithfully, delivered them from their enemies and brought them into the promised land. And this, this Savior, this Jesus, will be the true and greater Joshua who will lead God's people in true faithfulness, who will deliver all of us from the ultimate enemies we face of sin and death and Satan, who will bring us safely to the promised land to be home with our Father in glory forever. Joshua saved Israel in his time, but Jesus will save the world for all eternity. That's the first clue. The second clue to his identity is down in verses 32 to 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Just look at these phrases. He will be great. 
esteemed, prominent, exalted. He will be called the Son of the Most High, the divine royal Son. This is regal language. He shall have the right to rule, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, this son you are bearing will restore the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and his kingdom will never end. His rule will endure forever. He will be the king of Israel. Gabriel's words are hearkening back to the promise God made to King David all those years, a thousand years before in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 and 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, one day you're gonna die, but one of your descendants will rise and be king forever. Your dynasty will endure for all of time. And of course, everyone expected David's immediate heirs to fulfill this promise. But then the kingdom was divided, foreign overlords took over, the line of kings failed, and their hopes were crumbled, their dreams shattered, and the promise grew dim. But now Gabriel arrives at the turning of the tide, and there's no mistaking his meaning. Mary, this son of yours shall mean the return of the king. He will be called the Son of the Most High, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Child of Promise, the King foretold. He will take up his rightful throne. His reign will be unending. His rule will be enduring, and his kingdom will be established forever. Now, Gabriel's on quite a roll here, right? He's bursting on about greatness and kingdoms and thrones and dominions, but Mary is stuck, stuck on a previous statement that he made, the behold, you will conceive part. That's where she's stuck. And so she's waiting for him to pause for a break in the conversation. And then she asks, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? See, Mary might be inexperienced, but she's not uninformed. Hmm? (laughs) She knows this is is an impossibility given her commitment to purity before marriage. How, how will this be? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child who will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary, you want to know how this will take place? God is going to create life in your womb miraculously. This imagery here of the Holy Spirit coming upon her, God's power overshadowing her is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, where God's Spirit was hovering over the waters 
of chaos, the empty waters before the creation, as God speaks, speaks words and life comes from nothingness. He simply spoke and it was. And once again, the Spirit is hovering and God speaks and life is coming forth out of nothingness. The child to be born will be called holy. He will be uniquely set apart from all others ever, for he shall be called the Son of God. And there's the third identity clue. Not only is he Savior of the world and the King of Israel, he is the Son of God. God incarnate, the divine Son of God come to dwell amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14, the Word, this is Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Colossians 1.19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Mary, this child will be like un unlike anyone who has ever been born. His salvation will outshine Joshua. His kingship will outstrip David. And his holiness will outmatch all the sons of Adam, for he will be the Son of God come in the flesh. He will be heaven come down to earth. And God is saying, look, I know how my plans are so massively disruptive to your life, Mary, but I want you to understand that my plans are gloriously redemptive as well. God's plans are gloriously redemptive. Mary, you've found favor with God. He's handpicked you for this precious assignment. The Savior of the world is coming. The return of the King is at hand. The incarnate Son of God is arriving. And God says, my glorious redemption is breaking into this broken world, Mary, and I intend to do it through you. And I know, Mary, I know this is messing with all your dreams. I know it's messing with all your plans. But would you trust me? Would you trust me? Because I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my, neither are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Mary, won't you trust me with your life? Won't you trust me that in the midst of this massive disruption that I am doing something gloriously redemptive for you? That even now I am working all things together for good, for my glory and for your good. Will, Mary, will you trust me 
with your life? And that's the question, isn't it, friends? That's the question for all of us. Will we trust God with our lives? Will we trust that in the midst of all the massive disruptions, that God is actually doing something gloriously redemptive, that He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him? God is asking you and me, all of us, will you trust me with your life? I know it's not what you dreamed it might be. I know it's not what you planned. But it will be gloriously redemptive if you will trust me with your life and your story. It's a life-altering salutation concerning a world-changing sovereign which now elicits a history-making sacrifice, a history-making sacrifice. Mary knows exactly what's being asked of her here. She's being asked to give up her dreams. She's being asked to lay down her plans. She's being asked to let go of her life, to surrender, to submit, to sacrifice. And, and it's a costly decision, isn't it? And Gabriel knows the weight she's under. That's why he wants her to know she's not alone. She's not alone. Look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, you're not alone on this journey of trusting God with a massive disruption in your life. Your distant relative, Elizabeth, is also experiencing a miraculous pregnancy from the Lord in her old age. And God is working His glorious redemption in her life and her story as well. And you don't have to walk this alone. You've got someone you can go talk to, someone you can compare notes with. You've got built-in community in this stress test of your life and faith. You have each other. And then he adds, for nothing will be impossible with God. So not only will you have Elizabeth with you on this journey, God himself will be with you on this journey. And if he is with you, nothing will be impossible. This journey, this path will be with God. And it will make all the difference in the world which gives Mary the courage in verse 38 to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Such bravery, such humility, such sacrifice, such courage, such trust. It's amazing to me that she would lay down her plans, her dreams, her life, and trust God with her everything. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. No negotiation, no haggling, 
no transactions, no fine print, no wrestling. Just simply trust and obey. Trust and obey. And this sacrificial decision changed the rest of Mary's life and all of history for all of us forever because of what she did. In yielding her life to God, through her, the Son of God will be born into this broken world. And he will live a perfect life, the life we could never live. And he will die the death we deserved on the cross, bearing our sin and shame to the grave. And he will rise again to reconcile us to God so that we can be sons and daughters forever by grace through faith in him. And through Mary's sacrifice, you see, the ultimate sacrifice will come. Our Savior, our Redeemer. And this is Mary's Savior and Redeemer as well. Mary's sins will be forgiven because of Jesus. Mary will be reconciled to God forever because of Jesus. Mary will have everlasting life because of Jesus. Mary's life and glorious transformation will take place because of Jesus. But friends, God's plans are voluntarily transformative. God's plans are voluntarily transformative. God's plan all along was to save the world through Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. But notice, God does not proceed without her consent. He declares his transformative intent and then he waits for her yes, doesn't he? This is amazing. God has all the power in the world. He can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to invite us willingly, voluntarily to partner with him in the work that he's doing. He will not override us. God is a gentleman. He will not crash your party. He will stand at the door and knock, and he will wait for you to welcome him in. As C.S. Lewis put it, he cannot ravish, he can only woo. Friends, God wants to bring deep, lasting transformation into our lives. He wants to work his glorious redemption through massive disruption in our stories. And he's calling us, every single one of us, to lay down our tiny dreams and to say yes to his abundant purposes for our lives. But he's only gonna do it with our permission. He's only gonna do it as we yield and say yes to follow him. So I've been challenged this week by just these three questions. I share them with you. I hope they're helpful. Number one, am I willing to let God massively disrupt my life? Am I willing to let God massively disrupt my life? Secondly, am I yielding to God's glorious redemption through me? Am I yielding to God's glorious redemption through me? Thirdly, 
Am I volunteering myself for God's transforming work? Am I volunteering myself for God's transforming work? See, we keep coming back to it, that question, will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your life? When I was in high school and the Lord was calling me into ministry, as I wept on my pillow, I realized I could not say no. I knew that if anyone, anyone who loved me enough to die for me would never do me any harm. And so if he calls, I have to say yes. No, no, no fine print, no bargaining, no haggling, no wrestling, just yes. Put my yes on the table and let God do the rest. And I'm telling you, it's not been the easiest life, but it's been good, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Francis Havergal uh, wrote a beautiful hymn in 1874. These are the words. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my will and make it Thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is Thy own. It shall be Thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at its feet, its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for Thee. Ever, only, all for Thee. Oh, friends, that we would share this heart of surrender, to trust and obey, like Mary, to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Would you just say that phrase with me all together? Let's say it. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are doing beautiful things to bring glory and redemption into this broken world. And you call us to give ourselves to you. Just as Christ gave himself up for us, you call us now to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. It's the only fitting response to your mercies that's possible. It's what worship looks like to give all of ourselves back to you. But it's scary, Father, to let go of something we've held on to so dear Help us to know that your good purposes in our lives will bring out more glory, more goodness, 
more life than we could ever get if we hold on to them. Help us to lose our lives to find them. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.